you're new with us this morning, welcome. My name is David Cassidy, and I'm the pastor here at Spanish River, and it's a joy to welcome you, whether in person or online. Last week, we celebrated Easter together. In the church calendar, Easter is not just a day, but an entire season of Sundays that mark the period of time between Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection, and his ascension to the Father's right hand and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the scriptures teach us that there was a 40-day period after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended to the Father's right hand, during which time he taught his disciples, it says in the book of Acts, concerning the kingdom. So those, those days, right after the resurrection, were filled with Jesus' further instruction to his disciples about God's kingdom coming. So Jesus' public ministry begins with a 40-day fast in a battle with Satan, and it ends in a 40-day feast for the disciples because Jesus has defeated Satan and death. And in that feast of teaching, the subject is the kingdom. So it's an opportunity for us over these next few Sundays in the middle of our series in Matthew to be reminded about Jesus' teaching concerning the kingdom. After all, Christians are taught by Jesus to pray for the kingdom to come. Thy kingdom come. And in Matthew 13, there is a, a core section of Jesus' instruction about what he means by the kingdom of God. Now, we need to be clear about what that is. I'm going to invite you to turn there, Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along the verses on the screen. But if you've got a print version or an app, just open that up, Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to cover some familiar ground, the parable of the sower. Jesus has these beautiful parables here in this section of Scripture to help people understand his view of the coming of God's kingdom. The arrival of the kingdom was not something which was unanticipated by the people that were Jesus' contemporaries. They longed for the kingdom to come. But their version or their view of the kingdom had been distorted by sorrow, by pain, by tribulation, by persecution, especially from surrounding nations. And so the view of the kingdom was that, well, a great king will arise, which was true, the son of David. But this king would overthrow their arch enemy, which was true, but they thought it was the Romans, not death and sin. And that the way he would do this is by raising a great force to defeat them rather than by laying down his life. He, they thought he would shed their blood, but Christ the king comes and sheds his blood for his enemies to make them his own people. And then he takes his disciples and he sends them to the nations of the world so that they too can become part of the kingdom. And the images that Jesus uses to take the distortion out and begin to refocus people on what it means for the kingdom of God to come are very, very humble, unexpectedly daily images. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God shows up like an invading army. The kingdom of God comes like a, a great flood over the land or a tsunami. It doesn't come like thunder and lightning. No, he says the kingdom of God comes like a, like a seed that someone sows into a field. The kingdom of God is like 
a, a, a woman who's baking bread and she takes a little bit of yeast and she, she puts it in the, the loaf that she's kneading. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a businessman who's on a trip. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a man walking through a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. Those aren't the kinds of startling, stunning images that we would typically associate with the coming of something as revolutionary, as earth-changing, as shattering as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a seed, like leaven, like a businessman on a trip, like a net for fish being cast. That's it. That doesn't sound very exciting. That doesn't sound very powerful. That doesn't sound very amazing. See, we have an addiction to the amazing, to the startling. We want to see the thunder and the lightning. But Jesus shows up, and remember this, for years, the Son of God, God incarnate on the earth, walked past people as he was taking out the trash, and never they never turned ahead. They never saw who was walking past him. It's not surprising, is it, that when God comes to us in the person of a baby, Jesus, born to Mary in Nazareth, or in Bethlehem, and then raised in Nazareth, a little obscure village up in Galilee, in a remote place, that when he begins to talk about the coming of the kingdom, the images that he shares with people would be somewhat boring. So this is a boring sermon today. I thought I would tell you that just in advance. Now, you might think, well, yeah, it's boring because the parable of the sower, I've read that a thousand times and I've heard a hundred sermons on it. Well, good, let's hear one more. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through um, 10, and then we're going to drop down to verse 18. Matthew 13, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered to him so that he got in a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Can I just say, that sounds like the perfect Sunday service for Spanish River Church right there. Just gather at the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. And produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. And then verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. Now Jesus tells the disciples the meaning of this story that he told. And it all has to do with the sower and the soils and the seed. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes. 
comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, well, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. He endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and life. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would inscribe these words into our hearts today. Sow the good seed of your gospel into our lives, we pray. Amen. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, when the, when the scriptures unfold the meaning of the kingdom, he is going to describe it, God's government, God's powerful presence, coming to hearts, first of all. Something internal that he does. He talks here about the seed, the message of the kingdom being sown, and the various kinds of soil are people's hearts. So it's something that goes into us. Peter says, we are born again. We receive new life through the incorruptible seed of the word of God. So if you're a Christian today, what's happened is that at some point, whether through a parent or a Sunday school teacher or a friend or a colleague at work, you heard the good news of the kingdom and it penetrated your heart and it germinated there in new life and brought you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and now you are one of the one of god's own adopted children you're beloved you're born again your sins are forgiven all that happened because the seed of the kingdom came within you so there's an internal dimension to the kingdom jesus will go on to teach in further parables that the kingdom of god is not only something that's internal with us but it is something external in the world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. But when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he does not mean that his kingdom is not in this world and for this world. That's why we continue to pray, thy kingdom come. He says that you as a believer are a seed. So a seed has come to you, the seed of God's truth has come to you, and germinated inside of you and given you new life, but also you are a seed that is sown into the world, and you are the presence of God's kingdom in the world. And then the scriptures also talk about the everlasting kingdom. Paul says, Jesus will bring me safely to his everlasting kingdom. And there isn't a person sitting here today that doesn't long for the day when all things are made new and we come safely to the heavenly kingdom. Thanks be to God. That's the kingdom, internal, external, eternal. But the kingdom comes, as Jesus teaches, first to us and then through us and ultimately gathers us around his throne. But the way it comes to us is through this word, this seed, which is sown into our hearts, the message of the kingdom. And I want to talk to you today in particular about the heart of this story. 
Jesus describes four different kinds of soil. In other words, four different kinds of hearts. A hard heart. A heart that is shallow in its commitment. A heart that is, if you will, polluted. It has thorns and rocks which have crowded into that soil, which are choking out the life of the powerful seed that is within it. And then finally, he talks about a fruitful heart, a heart that bears a harvest that is 30, 60, and 100 fold, a beautiful harvest. If you go to the doctor, any kind of general checkup, you just go in, they're going to take your blood pressure, they're going to pop on one of those those little uh, instruments on your finger to check your oxygen levels, and then the physician's assistant or a nurse or the doctor when he or she comes in is going to put on that stethoscope and they're going to check your ticker. Because if that's not right, if there's, that's an immediate sign that something could be off. So we'll just get first things first. And you typically would go through all of that, blood pressure, oxygen levels, hearing the heartbeat, and just expect, okay, check the boxes, now let's get to the good stuff. But why do they do that first? You do that first because the heart, the heart of the matter, is what is going to dominate everything else. And if that's wrong, if there's some problem there right at the start, then everything else is going to be off. That truth physically is also true spiritually. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, and if there were ever some verses you should really memorize, I would commend to you Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. Here's what the, the wisest person who ever lived wrote. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them in your heart. They are life to those who find them and health to their whole body. Keep my word in your heart. And then he says this, Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flow the issues of life. That's powerful. Watch over the interior soil of your soul because what's down in your soul is going to come out and be a harvest in your life. Whatever you sow in there is going to bear fruit in a harvest. What's the state of your soul? And you have to guard your soul. Let me put it to you this way. You may not be a gardener. You may not have a green thumb. Or you may be a gardener that still doesn't have a green thumb. But... Imagine for just a second that you had this plot of ground there at your house and everything that you and your family were going to eat for the next year had to come out of that plot of ground. There was no grocery store to go to. There were no friends to count on. Everything was going to come out of that plot of ground. That's it. How carefully would you tend to that? How watchful would you be for those critters which might come into it? or those pests which might live beneath it, or those neighbor kids who might kick a soccer ball through it. You would say, get off my lawn. That's what you'd say. You'd say, I'm the grumpy person who says, stay out of my garden. Why? Because everything here 
is vital. I have to guard it. I have to watch it. Everything is going to come from here. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus is telling this parable, he, he, he puts it this way. He says, take heed what you listen to. He goes on to teach that the eyes and the ears are the gateways of the heart. That what we give our ears to and our eyes to are how seeds are sown down into our heart. And our hearts don't start off in a neutral place. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So from the start of our lives, our hearts are hard and shallow and polluted. They're not capable of, of kingdom life. And then we go through life sowing things into us, our deceits and our conceits, our anger, our bitterness, our envy. And then we really shouldn't be surprised that that's the kind of harvest that we see in our lives. You see, if you give your eyes and ears to deception, you give, if you give your eyes to pornography, you give your eyes to lies, you give, you give your ears to... To, to what is false, to gossip. You give your, your ears and your eyes to things which are destructive. All of that comes down into your soul, and it takes root there, it germinates there, and it produces a harvest of desolation. But there is a harvest of the kingdom that can come. So Jesus says the sower goes out to sow. Jesus does not leave us he does not leave us and our hearts in a position where they can be destroyed. He comes to us and he sows his seed. Now, some hearts are hard. In the ancient Near Eastern world, these fields where crops would grow had pathways, not around them, but right through them. So if you were walking, if you're walking out sowing your seed, broadcasting the, the wheat that you wanted to sow, some would fall on a pathway where many people had walked and trampled the ground down and hardened it. It's not going to penetrate. There are people who hear the message and it never penetrates. But then there are some people who hear the message and they have what Jesus describes as no root in themselves. They have a shallow response to the message. It comes into them, but there's a sheet of rock beneath there. There's some topsoil, but it doesn't go down deep. And so it springs up. It's very deceptive. There's a sort of shooting up of life and you go wow look at that i'm a successful gardener how about that but you don't realize that underneath there's something that is ultimately going to destroy it because the roots cannot go deep because it doesn't get the depth that it needs as soon as the blazing sun is out as the heat gets turned on that thing just withers up there are people who express faith like that they say oh now i'm a i'm, I'm gonna follow you and i'm excited there's an emotional response to the gospel an emotional response. They're in a service. They're emotionally stirred. They're excited. But actually, the seed has not taken root in them. So they profess a faith they don't possess. It's emotional. And as soon as the emotions are contrary, God didn't answer the prayer the way I thought he was going to. Why is God taking me through these terrible trials? Why am I going through so much trouble? Why do people now hate me when I love them so much? I will go join the haters again. And they drift away. The same thing happens with those whose soils are filled with what Jesus describes as thorns and rocks. It's a soil which is polluted. And so the root cannot begin to take hold. 
And what happens is the word is choked, and those roots don't find the life they need. What's choking them? Jesus describes it as the cares of this world. In other words, the legitimate concerns that we have, but we elevate them to a place that is above them. So it's paying the bills. It's taking care of making sure that all the paperwork is done and the right applications are in. It's making sure that the car gets fixed, that every I is dotted and T is crossed. It's just the everyday cares of life. But here's what happens. Those come in, those everyday cares, and they choke out any attention that your heart might have to the message. It's a distraction. And it's the desire for riches as well. It's, in other words, legitimate supply that we make illegitimate in terms of its concern in our life. And when that happens, when we take the legitimate and we give it an illegitimate place, it begins to choke out the work of God's word in our lives. And slowly what happens is, while we're still coming to church, we begin to experience a diminishing of our love for Christ and an awareness of Christ's love for us. You see, there's nothing wrong with any of the cares of this world. There's nothing wrong with legitimate issues. It's just the place they have in our lives. The the boat floats on the water. It's great if the boat is in the water. It's not great if the water is in the boat. And so there's nothing wrong with the water. The issue is the place of the water. And when you give an undue place to the everyday matters, and they have a higher priority in your life than these spiritual matters, these things which are eternal, they begin to choke out the eternal. Satan hates the word. Jesus says Satan comes and steals the seed from the hard ground. Satan comes and he creates trouble for the person with the shallow emotional commitment and they wither. Satan comes and if he can't steal the word of God from you, he will distract you. And it will be choked, slowly but surely. But then, there is the person who hears the word of God with a heart which is clean. Which a heart that is soil which is well prepared. And it takes time to produce that heart. You know, good soil takes years to cultivate. It's not instantaneous. It takes a while for that good soil to be turned over. The very first time I began to garden, I took, I took a, a tiller out onto that Tennessee clay, and it bounced like a basketball. It was one of the hardest workouts I've ever had in my life. About four years later, I took it out, and it just, it just turned over, and the ground was saying to me, why did you bring the tiller out this year? We're very happy just to roll over and receive the seed, because it had been impacted by life. When your heart first comes to Christ, there's hardness, there's shallowness, there's pollution there. How can the heart be changed after all? Jeremiah, again, the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We don't even know our own hearts. One of the most dangerous pieces of advice you can ever give anybody is follow your heart. Oh, my gosh. Your heart will lie to you all the time. 
Your heart will lie to you today if you're not a Christian saying you don't need Jesus. And your heart will lie to you today if you are a Christian and say Jesus doesn't need you. You're, you're, you're just, no, the heart is a liar. Don't follow your heart. Right over the bridge. Oh, my gosh. No, follow Christ. He comes and makes a new heart. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel when he says, I am going to sprinkle clean water on you, and I'm going to turn your heart of stone into a soft heart of flesh. How does he do that? He does that by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is a seed. See, there's that humble, boring little thing. And if I showed you, let me show you the kingdom, and I open up my palm, and I just show you some seed, and you would go, well, it doesn't look like much. But seeds are powerful things because of what is within them. The Word of God, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, the seed, once it's sown, can't be ultimately stopped. Not the seed of the kingdom. When it comes to this heart, it does produce a harvest. You see, God himself is a gardener. When he fashioned the whole world, he planted a garden. That's what Genesis tells us. And then he got his hands down in the dirt, and he brought some dirt up, and he made a man, and he breathed into that man. And he created out of the Adamah, the dirt, an Adam. Brought him to Eve. Now we know that they messed it up and got exiled from the garden. And ultimately their descendants, the whole world, found itself under judgment apart from Noah. But when Noah stepped out of the ark, God said to him, start planting seeds. Because from now until the time of the end, seed time and harvest are permanent. Genesis 8.22. Seed time and harvest are permanent. My friends... Sowing and reaping, that's the way the world works. That's the way the kingdom advances. Again, you might think that we need some giant great movement to see the advance of the kingdom. Friends, listen, it's a thousand little things that are done. Not some giant thing. There are Christians standing in their, at their sinks and walking around their living rooms waiting for God to give them something great to do. <laughs> Make your bed. Take your neighbor some cookies. Be in the ride for orphans. Give to Ukraine. You go, well, I, it was just a little gift. It's a seed and a seed. My goodness, the power of a seed. I seed grass. I don't know how it does it. It grass. It grows in my driveway. How does it do that? How does it do that? The seed of God's word will go to places you and I can't imagine changing. And you, you can walk out into a place and you can, see, you can see irrigation lines coming up out of the ground. What happened? Trees underneath it pushed it up. You see, if you give a seed enough time, even something small, it'll fill the whole world. Anybody can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. And that one little thing that you do 
caring for a baby in the church nursery, teaching a lesson to a child, working with student ministries, helping out in a high school where your kids go, working with a scout troop, just a thousand little things that are done every day, a word of kindness to someone rather than a word of cursing. A word of thanks rather than simply acting as if, well, they owed me. What those thousand little things do is go into hearts. They go into hearts. And they bring about kingdom change and the harvest of the soul, 30, 60, and 100 fold. What does it look like? What's that harvest look like? Galatians chapter 5 puts it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, self-control. You say, yeah, Pastor, that, that perfectly describes the way I Well, yeah, not so much. Not so much. Me neither, by the way. What does it take? Kindness. Kindness. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the gift of the Spirit. You see, gifts come like that. There's a gift. Here's the keys. But fruit, fruit, that takes time. That takes time. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the meekness. All of these things take time to grow in our lives, and you can become discouraged and dismayed. But I'm telling you, if you will say, Lord, cleanse my heart so that it's good soil, he'll bring forth that harvest in his time. Every Sunday when I was growing up, we had a confession of sin and an absolution. The minister would say, your sins are forgiven. And then we would respond by singing Psalm 5110. Some of you probably did that when you were growing up. You remember Psalm 5110? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Create in me what? Clean heart. We, we sang it every Sunday because even if you're a Christian, there are stones, there are rocks, there are thorns. There is shallowness. But God can deepen our commitment. God can cleanse the soil of our soul so that we bring forth a harvest of righteousness. And the reason this is true is because Jesus describes himself as a seed. He said, I'm a seed. He said, and unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears a lot of fruit. God came to this world not as a conquering king, but as a humble seed. And he was willing to be buried in ground. By his incarnation, by his crucifixion, by his burial, Jesus Christ went into the heart of the earth. And when he was raised from the dead, he is now Emmanuel. He can come into the earth of our hearts, the soil of our souls, and change it for every one of us that need that this morning. Invite him, if you are not yet a Christian, come into your hard heart and change it. And if you are a believer, to come into your heart and pray with David, create in me a 
email from God and you need a steadfast spirit. You need it. My friend, you cannot perform heart surgery on yourself. But there is a great physician who can do so this morning if you'll just ask him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, great physician, mighty Savior, we humble ourselves before you. For those here this morning, Lord, who need the seed of the kingdom to come into their hearts and change their hearts, to be born again by the incorruptible seed of God's truth, I pray that you would take hold of hard hearts, of shallow hearts, of, of, of polluted hearts, and Lord, you would, you would bring new life. And I pray that for each of us, you would, in all those places of our soul where the soil is, not as it should be, Lord, would you be at work, would you dig deep within us and remove from us all impediments to your mercy. And we pray it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.